When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brown Bernard, Mike Bryant, and Mike Molina. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Why do you always play songs that I love? Huh. That's Holy well, Thursday. You know all the songs that I love now. Yeah. You well, do, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, after having Mercurio in here, I feel like I have to go back to confession. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. Probably not a bad idea, to tell you the truth. Oh, God. What a man, though, huh? Why did they make little boys swim naked? That's <laughs> oh, really Did he talk weird. about that again? <laughs> he loved yeah. talking about that. He did. It's That's crazy. just such a... I don't know. <laughs> That's nice. Oh, he loves talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's really nice. He a does. bunch of grown teachers got together and said, oh. we should make the kids swim naked. I know. For their own good. Oh, I don't just, get it. I just, you know... And not the girls. Only the boys. Nope. Oh. I don't understand. <laughs> so it was, yeah, the girl. So the girls didn't have to do it, huh? Nope. I don't really understand that. Yeah. I think that you've got a good point. I think there. I might understand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, probably a very good explanation for this craziness. Yeah. 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 That kind of ended right about when. What? Uh, Social media came along and they could <laughs> tweet stuff out. <laughs> 
Do you think it would have lasted that long? I know it happened in the sixties and seventies, but I don't know if it was late in the I think the by 70s. the eighties that was pretty much over. Yeah, that's probably true. I would uh, think so. Happy Holy Thursday. It is Holy Thursday, yep. isn't it? Yep. Got the stations uh, of the cross nice. to do tonight. I'm doing it tomorrow. Yeah. You're doing it tonight? Yeah. Yep. You know I don't do that and you know why. Yep. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, for new listeners, I do not do the Stations of the Cross because they began to talk to my father one time. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, well, boy, look at the time. Now, do you remember which I particular station it was? Was it 11 or 12? Those- I do not remember, but I looked at it and I, and I thought, you know, because I was very little, you know, I was six, maybe. Well, I was at St. Joseph's still, and I left St. Joseph's in sixth grade, so I was... 10 or 11 because I started school early so I would say I was no older than I'd say 8 or 9 and I, I remember thinking well maybe they are talking to him I just can't hear it well, do you, <laughs> you think, know do you think Jesus told them when he was drinking <laughs> well I don't know. You know that's a whole different deal oh Jesus did like wine. Yeah. No. Yeah, wow. you know. Talking about Jesus he today on the on KQ this morning. Wow. <laughs> Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. <laughs> wow, yeah, I knew he liked I Mountain Dew. <laughs> what's your name? Jesus. What's your last name? Christ. You know what's weird? He later apparently, Where according to the news, told the dispatcher that he was schizophrenic. Oh, he did? So he knew he was schizophrenic. Oh. And yet, I guess he still thought he was Jesus somehow. It's, it's it's almost like there were two personalities. There was the crazy one, and then the normal one trying to like you know fight uh, happy, or something. Happy Easter, Tom. Very weird. Andy, did you read that Great book? Uh, did you read that book where they they talked about how they got the three Jesuses together to see what yeah. would happen when they saw each other, and all they did was go, yep. you know, those other two guys are crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well. I suppose that's what they would think. Those other two guys, are, and they all three thought the other two yep. were crazy. Yeah, that's the thing about mental illness Aww. like that is I'm pretty sure it's literally hardwired. So it's not, it's physically impossible for them to stop believing that. Yeah. So their brain will come up with whatever uh, explanation they possibly can for, you know, well, I'm obviously the real one and they're, yeah. they're not. I suppose that is true that they, they have to convince themselves they're the real Jesus. And everybody else is a fake. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's true. Well, people do that all the time with other things. Yeah, they they'll do. They'll believe something for 30 years, and then when confronted with evidence that they're wrong, they'll just dismiss the evidence or say everyone else is the wrong ones. Or you know, People In- are like that. Industrial disease by dire straits. Two men say they're Jesus. One of them must be wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> one of the great lines ever. No, my mother actually was the one who... I didn't have to witness the horror that my mother did. She was the only one in uh, my father. He had a Ford Falcon. So that was, what, a 1960, something like that? Yeah. And they're driving along the road, and all of a sudden he screams and slams on the brakes, puts the car into reverse, and my mother said, Bob, what are you doing? He goes, I, I, got, I just got to back away. Can't you see him? And my mother said, can I see what? Well, woman, the devil's standing right there. Uh, the devil's right in front of the car. It's like, oh, man. She waited for a while to tell us that story, by the way. I don't think she wanted to spring that on 10-year-olds yeah. or 9-year-olds or 8-year-olds. <laughs> well, I told you about the schizophrenic girl I dated. No. Oh, well, I did. Um, and then I, I asked her. She was very open about the whole thing. And it wasn't anything like your dad. No. Um, because I think there was something else going on there, something that compounded everything. Oh, I think you're probably right. But I asked her, like, do you know when a hallucination is a hallucination? And she said that if it doesn't make any sense, then yeah, it, she can just, like, put it together. Oh, she could. So, so like, sometimes, okay. sometimes she'll be falling asleep, and then she'll see, like, a deer grazing in the middle of her room. Huh, and really? she'll be like, well, obviously, that can't be real, so she just ignores it. But then... If it's just like, you know, something that could be real, then it's, she can't really tell. Huh. Yeah, that must be really fun. Yeah, it'd be a thrill to know, to not know if it's real. Yeah, nothing not you real. see, you know, you it's, don't know, you don't know whether it's real or not. Well, it's real to them. 
I mean, that that's a perspective they have. So it's it's scary because it, they have a whole different view on life and the world. And, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the scary yeah. part of it because it's real, you know? So ugh. No, it's absolutely It's so true. weird how the brain does that mm-hmm. or just make things up and then present them as if they're real. But I have a question for everybody, and I've always wondered this. Uh, and maybe it was because my father was schizophrenic, possibly. I don't know. I know we both call blue blue, but is the color of your blue the same color as my blue? Uh, you, you know what I mean? There's no way to know that, is there? I mean, there's no way to know on earth. There's no way you could know that what I can. Sure, we both call it blue, but if I saw the blue that you think is blue, it might be green to me. Yeah. Well, I guess you could both point I at mean, something and say that's blue. So there's probably some but consistency would, there. I don't know, though. Just because. It'd be the same object, yeah. and it might appear, you know, I, I don't, it's, it's because all I did when you were a kid was point something and go, that's red. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, no, everything that looks like that I will consider to be red now. Well, to somebody else, it might be, you know, yellow or or black, for that matter. I don't know. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. It is all relative. It's just, um, I, is it easy to tell what is real and what isn't real for everybody, I guess? I don't know. I, I hope so. But it happens for a reason. The brain does the things it does for a reason. Uh, you know, there's a disease there. I understand all that. But I wonder if it's just because when you're asleep, whatever circuitry it is that allows you to tell nonsense from sense mm-hmm. turns off. Because otherwise, you'd be spending every second of your dream going, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas in, But if you're dreaming... You just kind of accept everything uh, that happens as, you know, this is just how it is. So I'm wondering if people like that, they're just, that uh, logic circuit isn't turning on. So they're basically in a permanent state of uh, dreaming. Maybe. Well, we have a caller. We have a caller? Caller. Magoo. Magoo, what's up? Hello, Tommy. I can barely hear you. Just kidding. <laughs> What's up, Magoo? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, did you hear that uh, interview with that babbling buffalo, Imus? Uh, uh, I did not hear it. But Are you talking about the CBS Sunday morning thing? Yeah, where he, he claims he gave the top five radio horse of all time. Mm-hmm. And then, well, you know, he's so vain, he claimed himself as uh, the top radio host ever. But for the love of God, he, he can hardly, he bumbles, you know. Yeah, that's true. Horse, yeah. You know, and, it, and he's got a hat two times size as big as his head. <laughs> Plus he's, he does, that's they, true. So it looks like it's going to fall down. I mean, seriously, how vain you got to be to claim yourself. But. I wanted to give my list of the top five and see what you think and then get your top five list because, you know, I'm a, a little younger generation than you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, here so, we go. Well, because you won't, you're, you're, you will never, you always think that you're a total damn disaster. Tommy B. <laughs> That's true. Um, Paul Harvey. And then oh, I yeah. got... Wow, then the Wolfman Jack. We're getting down. We're getting bungy. And then I got Art Bell. And then. uh, Oh, he was. He was. uh, Because, you know, he had all the loonies on. And he would just let them, you know, go to town. And he would just, uh huh. Yeah, you know, he would never (laughs) Uh argue with them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I used to work overnights. And uh, listening to him was, you know,. God, the hours just flew by. But anyhow, uh, and then I got Rush Limbaugh huh. because of his folly. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put aside his politics no, it's huge and whatever, huge, huge, huge following, you know. And, and he you does know, have a like, big following, yeah. You know, and then I could go, I got Glenn, ba- Glenn Beck. I got Paul Allen. Paul Allen Paul. started out from, he was announcing horses out in the West Coast. Now he's announcing right. the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, for a fella right. with, with talent, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Al Momberg. I mean, I could go on and stuff. Al, yeah, but Al I'm was very good, yep. Very good. I mean, you know, overnights and, yeah. I mean, but I miss, 
No, you, no, far from the top. He stole stuff from everybody. Yeah, uh, but everybody uh, stole stuff from him, yeah, a too. Lot of people stole yeah, from him. A lot of people stole from Don Imus as well. Um, so, yeah, as far as the top five is concerned, um, Dan Ingram, Ingram, phenomenal. The Ingram mess. Dan Ingram, I would put definitely Don, Don Imus on that list. I agree with you on Wolfman Jack. Uh, Larry Lujak at WLS in Chicago was, in my mind, maybe the best of all time. Larry, Larry Lujak was incredibly good. And by the way, I can't include anybody I've ever worked with because that just wouldn't be fair. Because I worked with so many really, really good people that I wouldn't want to leave anybody out. So I'm not going to put any of them in there. But um, Oh, tofu yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. Hey, well, like John Hines and I are very, very close friends. And, and if, I, if I start throwing in... You know, the Chuck Knapps and the John Hines and the Steve Hatleys and the Smoking oh, Joe Hagers goodness. and all those people. It's, it's just too many people. So i, I got to leave them all out. My mother had so. a huge crush on John Hines and Don Shelby, which who she called Shelby. Shelby, yeah. Yeah, she's always telling me. <laughs> you know, she called Shelby. Yeah, shit. She goes, Shelby's <laughs> on. So I'd have to go to the TV yeah. room, you know, and get ready for bed. So, yeah, yeah but Hines, my mother had a... Oh, yeah. Oh, she was hot for Hines, yeah. Well, Hines, a good-looking guy, no doubt about that. But I can't include any of those guys, or any of the men or women that I worked with, because there are just too many, so I I can't put any of them. Well, maybe with IMS, you worked with them or whatever. But, you know, before I'm back back in the day, uh, I used to, before technology came on, when I was trucking, my father would hit the record button every morning when the queue would come on and mm-hmm. he would take the tape out the next day he'd hit the because it was only i'd only get three hours so i remember right. when eight when uh cassette tapes came out and i could buy them that had eight hours on there you know so yeah. i would listen yeah, that's right. you know i would my father would record you and then i would i'd always be a week behind but, you know, I, I would listen to you trucking down the road. But I would hear Imus out here, and it, you can't, I could not understand him. You know. No, I know. No, I know what you're saying. You know, there was a guy it, named the, it, the Real Don Steele at KHJ in Los Angeles. He was phenomenal. This is a guy, the Real Don Steele. There's a place in Southern California called the Steel Bridge. And the real Don Steele turned his car sideways and blocked the bridge and screamed at everybody to get the F off his bridge. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was kind of a ballsy move. It's like, okay, well, I think he may have gotten arrested for that one. But uh, Dr. Don Rose in San Francisco, I mean, I will tell you this. Number one for me of all time is Steve Dahl. Steve Steve Dahl, Dahl, I think, is as good as it gets. Steve Dahl, still working at WLS in in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Nobody better than than he. Steve Dahl was the best of all time. He inspired every damn thing I do. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I I would say you've been number one, number one morning show for years. Um, 32 years. You know, I go 32 years. You know, I go to these other mm-hmm. places sometimes, and you tune on the radio. Um, I think they call it like morning zoo. You know, where the bells, the whistles, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that laughing and stuff. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's you know. I understand. I think I don't. I don't think you ever did a morning zoo type show, and no, I, think I never did a morning zoo. <laughs> I don't think that that probably had a good effect on why everybody from Minnesota knows you. Mm-hmm. That could be Magoo. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Tommy. Have a great day. uh, Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. 
Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years. But did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. There it is. Two men say day Jesus. One of them must be wrong. I, I, I heard love the, Mark Knopfler. I heard for the first time that story about you that you had a shot at taking Paul Harvey's seat after he left. Well, they, they called and asked me about it. And the one thing you don't want to do no. is replace a legend. Not you a know, good idea. Literally, no matter how good you are, everyone's going to hate you. Everyone's going to hate yep. your guts. Like, nip, we're good to go. I, um, I was one of the final two people to replace... Casey Kasem on yeah. American Top 40. Uh, I know that. As well. And uh, uh, I still think that was a mistake. Just get rid of the show completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad I didn't end up doing that either. Uh, I do need to point out, by the way, that Michael Bryant now loves to taunt me and torture me <laughs> on text messaging. <laughs> because he, he's poked the bear during that conversation by texting me. About one of the most arrogant human beings I've ever met in my entire life, Hillbilly. He seemed like he had a great show. Oh, God, he sure thinks so, doesn't he? He thinks he's got the greatest show ever, apparently. But God bless him. The kid's doing really, really well for himself. But uh, during the National Radio Hall of Fame dinner, uh, there were a couple of guys that really disappointed Oh, I, I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> and Me he too. Knows exactly who we're talking about. And so does Molina. He was there too. Right in the middle of his acceptance speech for the National Radio Hall of Fame, there are, I, I think, somebody did the count for me. There are only, I believe, somewhere around 50 or 60 people who are still alive that are in the National Radio Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, if that. If that. I don't even think there are that many, to tell you the truth. But right in the middle of his acceptance speech, he said, and I quote, this came at a good time because uh, I'm getting a new contract. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why you would bring that up there, it's your one moment. I think the youngest inductee in the history of the Radio Hall of Fame. That is true. And the first thing he brings up, and, and what he did is going to hurt younger people from getting in. Because for him saying, I got a new contract coming up, they're going to go, ah, no, these people are too young. They just. They yeah, radio people it. already are wary of anything young. Yeah, that's pretty much true. So they don't. It? Yeah, they don't need to be made to be more wary of uh, things that are new. And John Landecker really disappointed me because I used to listen to him back in the day. Another Chicago disc jockey, but Jesus, was he long-winded? Oh yes. Oh yes. Hey John, uh, we'd like to get home sometime before like seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning. What was the thing he kept talking about? Oh God, I don't even remember. He brought up some topic for a long no, it time. Was, uh, it was something just completely unrelated. Um, what it was, was the that story about? that Jay Harris used to tell on Letterman. Jay, the, uh, not Jay, not, or Jay, not Jay Harris. Harris Jay Thomas. Uh, Jay Thomas. Well, oh, he, the Lone Ranger. Yeah, the Lone Ranger. Story? Yeah, he, yeah. He yeah. brought in the Lone Ranger into his acceptance speech. Yeah, I don't remember that. Huh. For a long okay. time. Yep. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he used to like he was he talking about how he used to watch the Lone Ranger and he wanted to oh, be the okay. Lone Ranger or something. I don't know. Have you, Tom? Yeah, have we you, want you to be the Short Ranger. How about that? <laughs> have you ever <laughs> been the Short Ranger? Have you ever worked to the guy in, that guy down in Florida? The that has the morning show down in Florida. Um, You're not you, talking about Bubba the Love no, Sponge. No, no, the one you've had on a couple of oh. times for that you've interviewed a oh, couple Paul times. Oh, Castronovo. Yeah, Castronovo. Yeah. Well, yeah, we just had dinner a few weeks ago. As a matter of fact. Uh, another guy, maybe you know, but from the New York area, the Rochester, New York area, Brother Weeze was at that dinner. He's Brother been Weez. He's been in Rochester, New York for a thousand years. Just a great guy. Bob Rivers, who did uh, mornings in Seattle forever, 
the four of us were there, and Bob Rivers added up the years that we were just on morning radio. Not all, our entire careers, but just morning radio. It was 171 years wow. between the four of us. It's like, holy God. Wow. It's quite some time. But that was a good time. Yeah, Paul Castronova, as a matter of fact, I'm going to have dinner with him. Uh, Catherine and I are going to have dinner with him one more time uh, this year. I, um, Good God, but... It's just it's just so much fun to talk to people about about uh, how people I don't think understand what the job involves, what it entails. It's uh, you know I get the, all these promos that I get. Hey, you got to read this promo today. Got to read that promo today. Got to. It's like you do realize that those to the listener sound like commercials. Yeah. You do know that they think those are commercials. So basically, you want me to do about 30 minutes of commercials this hour? I just don't think that's good for the ratings, but, uh, you know, I guess that's your opinion. It's, a, it's stream of consciousness is the whole deal behind morning radio, and that's what we were talking about at that dinner that night, that, that people do not understand stream of consciousness, that once you get rolling on a subject, that you build upon that and you go, uh, yeah, you go in different directions and you can go back or whatever, but to have to keep breaking it up is a bitch. It's really hard to do. Oh, with all the ads? It's not, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. different different things, you know, whether it's promos or ads or weather or traffic or what the hell ever it is. It's, um, there are people that can do it. There are not many, though. Mm-hmm. Well, there really aren't that many. Do, but Paul, most of Paul them Castronova do. Was another guy putting it. Most of them do prep, though, right? Because you, you compared to you, yeah. I mean, they do a lot of prep. So you know, and I do none. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, you know, I think you're right about that. If you do show prep, maybe it's a lot easier to do that that way. But if you don't do show prep, it probably is is harder. No, but uh, your, your interviews are a lot better than theirs because you don't ask stuff like you know do your comedy act and you know stupid stuff that they tell you in you know in the promos versus you just talk to somebody yeah. and those are a lot I better try not interviews. To embarrass them. Yeah. yeah, I try not to embarrass them. That's the other thing is some some guys love to embarrass their guests and I don't know why the hell they like to do that, but it is what it is. Well, is that just I mean, insecurity though? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I have to look better than you. I have to look smarter than you. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's probably part of it. I mean, I've been look. I've been very, very lucky, and I've been very, very unfortunate with the people I've worked with. I've worked with some of the greatest people, you know, and I've worked with some of the biggest assholes I've ever <laughs> met in my entire life. I mean, it's throughout my entire career. It just that's it happens. Yeah, I suppose that's any job, though, isn't it? I mean, it, some of the lawyers you've worked with, I'm sure you really like. And they're all peaches. Like, oh, God, they're all peaches. I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> I love every lawyer I've ever worked with. Yeah. They're phenomenal. No, it's just, you know, but I, I wouldn't single out. You know, I mentioned a few people like, you know, the, the early, my first big break in radio, I was talking about the Chuck Knapps and Charlie Bushes and Joe Hager and Steve Hatley and, you know, John Hines came uh, a bit after that. But, you know, the Tony Lees of the world, and Tony's still a family friend. There are a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that, I've really, really enjoyed, and I could go on and on and on, but you don't really want to hear another 100 people that I've worked with that have been great to work with. But, yeah, it's tough to put out a top five list. Oh, yeah. Imus would definitely be on it, though. But but I think I think Don Imus and Steve Dahl changed radio forever. Don Imus in one way and Steve Dahl in another way, <laughs> and the rest of us, including Howard Stern, built on that yeah there's well, no question that it's true wolfman jack also i mean you've talked about him yeah you know and he actually did yep. the song about you <laughs> that he threw that in for you you know wolfman jack was hey. amazing talent and the nicest guy you'd ever want really? to meet nicest guy ever god he was a great guy god did he love cocaine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just throw that in at the at the very end of it no, it's it's interesting. One one of my favorite radio guys uh, ever was you know the you're almost your first potential partner the one that didn't work that you'd never even started with with Yates. Oh, Bobby Yates. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people. Do, uh, I love that guy well, was great. The, I used to get his tapes when he when he got knocked off the radio and they and him and Kenny used to do tapes. He he was really right, talented, right. but he apparently did. he couldn't get along with anybody in the world. So you know, yeah. So. Apparently that was I never did work with him, but, right. but apparently he couldn't get along with anybody. But he almost was your first partner, right? Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. That almost did happen, but he literally at the dinner <laughs> we just couldn't get along. Yeah. 
So, no, I, I agree. The very smart guy, really good writer, very, very smart guy. But uh, I think, you know, he might have been one of those guys that, that just, you're right, he just couldn't get along with anybody else. I don't know why that is, but some people just can't do it, mm-hmm. you know. He never got any ratings either, so no. I don't know what that was but all about. He never really was on a show. I mean, he was on AM no. mostly. I don't think he was ever on an FM that I can think of. Oh, You're he was on like a right. jazz. He was on a jazz FM station for a little while. That you know, oh, he was, was yeah, out of somebody's basement or something. But um, didn't he moved to he moved to LA and became a writer or something? Didn't that's he? that's what I heard. I think yeah. So. I think that's what happened to him. But, yeah, I would run into people once in a while that, that absolutely loved Bob. Well, Bob was a very smart guy. He's very, very intelligent. Very intelligent yep. guy. Mm-hmm. He was. There's there no getting around that. But he, you know, unfortunately for, for Bob, he kind of was around when KQ was, I mean, KQ at one time had a 29 share, which was unheard of. In competitive radio. Now, back in the days when it was two or three AMs in the market, and that's all that was in the market, yeah, people had 40 shares then, but there were only three radio yeah. stations, so that was a different deal. But, but uh, yeah, he just, it just kind of, I don't know, it was, it was one of those deals. There, there are a lot of people that were really, really good at the business that just, that's why I, I don't like people like... Um, Oh, what the hell's his name that owns the San Antonio Spurs? Oh, Mark Cuban? No, Mark he owns Cuban, the, yeah. He, he owns the Mavericks, right? Yeah, he owns oh, the yeah, Mavericks. Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. He owns the Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban. He cannot admit, at least publicly, that part of it is luck. I mean, it is. There's no. Could could Bob Yates have done the KQ Morning Show and, and killed it? Absolutely. It just didn't work out that way. And and part of that is because he, he had a hard time working for or with anybody. You know, uh, that was part of it. But could he have had great success at KQRS? There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, who knows why? Uh, but that's a good guess. I don't exactly have a great time working with other people either. <laughs> you may have heard over the years. I, uh, I do have that anger issue. Uh, and... and when I'm right in the middle of doing a show or whatever and somebody wants to just throw something at me, I just I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, when you work with them for quite some time, they try to you know take over the show. It's like, I, we're not doing that either. <laughs> and that's happened everywhere I've ever worked. You know, it just that's the way it is. So you, people you just, just do that. You just waiting for Brittany or Candace to suddenly take over the show? Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, nah, more last minute. <laughs> I stayed away Last from the obvious everybody. ones. I went to the ones that would yeah, never do that. So, oh, Candace and Brittany. Yeah. Brittany was a, did nights for a long time before she went overseas. I don't yeah. think people know. Well, some people don't know it anyway. But yeah, I think it's one of those businesses that there's definitely the timing of it all, the luck of it all, and and I think the reason I got so lucky is because I was living in New York City, listening to New York radio. And went back to Minnesota where no one would ever say a bad word about anybody and just started ripping the hell out of everybody like they did on the radio. Because that's what I thought radio had come to. I didn't know that radio wasn't like that in Minneapolis and St. Paul because I was living in New York, right? So I came back and started doing, you know, quote-unquote New York-style radio. Well, the story I was telling, when I got in the cab to go to LaGuardia to fly home... (laughs) The fans were ripping the hell out of the Yankees and saying, ah, oh, they suck. They're horrible. Yeah, sure, they're going to win the American League, but they're never going to win the World Series. Yeah. So that was really sucking in New York. And then I got in the cab once I landed in Minneapolis, and they were listening to uh, to uh, the radio. And people calling, oh, the Twins are going to be great this year. They're going to do a great job. They could probably finish third or fourth in their division. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. thought, what the hell is the difference here? There's a big difference here, but I still assumed when I hit the air, you know, on April seventeenth, that day, I just did radio the way I'd been listening to the radio for the past several years in New York and Chicago and places like that. And I guess people in in Minneapolis had never heard that kind of thing, and they went, "What the hell is this?" I mean, there were people 
yanking their business off the radio <laughs> station. There were people that were threatening me. There were people that were going to blow up the radio station. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. But even with that, but, you know, even with you ripping the teams, the, that first Monday, the show you did when the, when the Twins won the World Series for the first time, that show you did that morning, you, it, it was clear that that was the greatest thing in the world. You know, you compared it to oh, Andy's God, birth. Oh, was amazing. You got on. First thing you yeah. said was, the, since Andy's birth, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It was on his birthday he won the World Series, yep. his first birthday. But now the following season cool. when you made the trip to New York for opening day and your encounter with Howard yeah. Cosell. That... <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest of all time. And unfortunately, we have a guest coming up, so we don't have time. But tune in tomorrow. And I'll t- <laughs> My meeting with Howard Cosell, yes. Opening day. Uh, opening day, the Twins and the Yankees, 1988. Idiot. <laughs> Never <Yeah>. forget it. <laughs> we'll be right back. Special guest coming up next time, Bernard. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you know how important it is to have the right dock. That's why you should know about flow docks. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. They're completely modular, so you can configure them to your family's needs or add on as your family's needs grow. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy. My friends at Flow also told me that hockey star Ryan Suter bought a Flow dock and lift as he wanted the best for his family. See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutrimost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutrimos is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutrimos has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutrimos to Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutrimos client and owner, who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. Melina, you're far too young to remember this, but that was one of the first songs I ever played on KQRL. Eminence Front was a big hit back then. Loved it. Magnificent. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our very special guest, Varla Ventura. How are you, Varla? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you for uh, understanding. Oh, I guess no. we had a little connection issue yesterday. No, so. no, no. You were you were great about it. I told uh, Dave Schrader that you uh, you handled it very very well, and I appreciated that. But, uh, <laughs> it just happens. Once hey, in a while. it happens, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Stuff. Ha- now, you do realize since you just you just moved here, what about a year and a half ago, something like that? Two, a little over two years ago. A little over two years ago. You're going to have to change your last name. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you're just going to have to. Oh, because of Jesse. Oh, because of Jesse. Yeah, I thought I, I thought for perhaps other reasons. But. Yeah, no, Dave, <laughs> Dave was going yesterday. He was going, yeah, I was driving by this red barn that was out in White Bear Lake. <laughs> so he, oh, yeah, good impression. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a pretty good uh, impression. I've never of actually met him. I've, I've been waiting for years because uh, every time I'm on uh, a big radio show, I... I he comes up. People say, oh, are you related to Jesse? And I, I feel like at some point I should just start saying yes, yes. just to see what would happen. Yes, you know? I am. Um, Although his real name is so. Jim Janos. That's the, that's the problem you'd have there. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, it's interesting. Yeah. I was born in Minnesota, Varla, and I was raised in North Minneapolis and you know lived in Minneapolis, St. Paul most of my life. I you know, lived in Grand Forks and Fargo and 
uh, lived in New York City, lived in Chicago, lived around a little bit, but Minnesota's my home, like I said, born and, born and raised here. I don't know most of these things. You, uh, Varla Ventura, ladies and gentlemen, talking a lot about Minnesota mysteries and oddities. What, what is the Ramsey County Poor Farm and Cemetery? I don't, I don't know anything about that. Do you know anything about that, Molina? You grew up in St. Paul. Uh, Molina's unavailable. <laughs> oh, he's working. He's yeah. working. Well, no, he's working. Hey, he's working. So we'll, I guess schedule. we'll take that as a no. I, I've, I've heard about it. I, I, this is Mike Bray. I've heard about it before. It's amazing. Okay, so um, what what I think most people know about is um, they, they might be familiar with the building itself, which is a large red barn that sort of looms over White Bear Avenue uh, at Frost. It's technically in Maplewood now. Oh, okay. And it's it's where the Ramsey County the Ram not the state fair, but the Ramsey County Fair is held there every year. And there are other kind of county buildings. Um, there's a there's a nursing home there parks and rec has their building and there's the goodrich golf course and um and the little arena there are all kind of part of that same complex and every year the barn is actually turned into fright farm this is kind of ironic but it's turned into fright farm by the ramsey county sheriff so that's how it first drew attention to me i saw this big banner and this big beautiful barn and it said fright farm and i said i'm in what is this uh, and then I noticed a smaller sign uh, next to that, which talked about the cemetery, which is kind of the part that a lot of people don't know about. So this area was a port was a port called the um, Ramsey County Poor Farm, originally established as the Ramsey County Alms House, and um, it was established prior to 1885. But it kind of the the concept sort of moved around. There were a number of poor houses at that time in the greater Minneapolis area, and even before when it was still Minnesota territory. The idea of a poor house or a poor farm where people who, you know, the indigent members of society could give back to society and have a place to live and be be taken care of, that was kind of the idea. Now, this one was the the present location uh, was chosen because it was then rural. So there was a small village that's now kind of known as like the ghost village of Gladstone that was right in that same area. I believe this was well before it was actually deemed Maplewood or called anything. It was considered still part of the greater St. Paul area. Mm -hmm. And they established this farm. It was a working farm. It had pigs and cattle. It produced a great, great deal of um, actually a lot of dairy and milk, and the area was kind of chosen because it was far enough away that um, enough land could be procured and it would be inexpensive. And also, there were certain members of society who wanted to have these sort of wayward folks off the streets of Minneapolis and St. Paul. To be perfectly blunt, they just wanted to not have to stumble over, um, you know, people of lower class, extremely, you know, people in extreme poverty. So So, would those those people be, would these people be considered homeless now? So they'd be the homeless people they'd send to the poor farm. Yes. And you had um, them sort of just as it is now in, in this area, because I grew up in San Francisco where we have homeless year round, but here people can't survive on the streets in the winter. So you would have, you know, deaths that were, um, you know, kind of horrified people and people would be freezing to death. And then you'd have the whole area kind of overrun with indigent members of society um, in the warmer months. So they established this poor farm and uh, it actually, by today's standards, most of us uh, should be horrified by what was expected of these uh, people who it, essentially it was people who weren't hireable. They didn't have family in the area, and they often were elderly or perhaps had some uh, developmental issues. For whatever reason, they had sought fortune here, and fortune had not befallen them. So they were sort of rounded up and sent to this working farm. And if you read some of the early descriptions, it sounds lovely. You know, there's everybody ate from the food that they right. harvested and everyone was well-fed. Um, but then as a free member of the society, you start reading about some of the rules that were expected, you know, certain, um, what time you had to go to bed, lights out, 
no smoking, no drinking. I mean, it was very, it was essentially like you were in um, sort of a, a low security prison. And in fact, people were even referred to as um, inmates in a mm. lot of the early documents. Okay. Um, so anyway, you had this poor farm, and actually the poor farm kind of fell to the wayside uh, during the 1930s. So we had the Depression era, and it was at its peak. And then during the 1930s, social because of the Depression, social services and welfare became a national program. And so you did not have people in the same kind of dire straits where um, they they were expected to bathe once a week. That was one of the rules that always kind of cracked me up. And then there was some quote saying, <laughs> yeah. some people would rather make their way on the streets than bathe once a week. And then you read the other rules, and it's like, actually, they probably just wanted to have a smoke once in a while and not work manual labor all right. day, but fair enough. Right. Um, and so, you, so the, the poor farm eventually kind of became, uh, in, the, in the 30s, it start, sort of fell to the wayside. Its popularity was waning. A lot of the people who could otherwise, you know, find work or government aid elsewhere were able to leave and strike out in the world. And then it kind of ended up being a lot of an elderly population. And then it sort of, that turned over into the 1960s. It became uh, a mental, uh, a mental hospital for a period of time. People who didn't need to be full on hospitalized, but who had mental issues. Well, but um, see, all this sounds to me ahead. like it'd be a good idea uh, instead of having people, you know, scrounging in the streets and, and, and some people who may have, you know, mental issues. They were actually cared for. What we do today sounds much more cruel to me. Right. I mean, we, we like our freedom of choice. So we like to come and go as we please. Yeah, and there yes. were no there were no rules actually binding people to stay there. Um, it was just that, you know, people were viewed as being, uh, they needed to be productive. Uh, so this all kind of leads us to, and, and I will point out one funny thing I read in an article from a man named Pete Bole, who writes for the, I think he's the head of the Maplewood Historical Society, and he wrote a couple articles on this. And he pointed out that in 1935, this poor farm made Ripley's, believe it or not, because Prosperity Road actually led to the poor farm. So that was a funny little... <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. Ironic tidbit. So there's a, so, um, there's a cemetery so There's a there? cemetery. Yes. What would happen is, I think it was in the late 1800s, the county said, we're spending hundreds of dollars, which is a good chunk of money. We're spending hundreds of dollars to bury people, the poor people, in county cemeteries. So they proposed that a potter's field be established. And where better to establish this potter's field than next to this 160-acre farm as part of this 160-acre farm? Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what a potter's field is, it's essentially a field where people are buried, and usually there's just a wooden stake in place, if nothing. They're unmarked graves. And to, to be fair, though, every person was documented, and through great effort through the Maplewood Historical Society, they actually have the name of all of the people who were buried in, um, it was close to 3,000 people who were buried during a 30-year period. People who lived at the poor, lived on the poor farm and died there, often from just enduring extreme weather conditions. Oh, yeah. Um, or, or elderly people who, you know, that's why they were there, because they weren't considered important members of society, so they were kind of toward the end of their life and had been abandoned by family. And so they would live at this farm. And so some people died, um, quote unquote, natural causes, right? So just getting old. Yeah. Um, and then you did have occasionally unidentified people who would die in the area were also buried in this potter's field. That's what it was designated for. But is What's it a, remarkable? Can you find this cemetery now or is it just a mass grave? I mean, I you don't... can walk right where the hearse used to roll through. You can walk on the path that was the road that the hearse used to slowly drive through this field. And if you, and it's open, it's public land. There are paths that walk through it. Basically, if you park near the poor farm or the, the barn, the big barn, it's kind of just down the hill beyond that. So there's a big grassy area, a big lawn area, and that's where the, um, the fair is held. And then okay. lower to that, there's another kind of area where they put the Ferris wheel. So kind of to the left of all of that, there's the beautiful waving kind of hillside. 
And that's what remains of the potter's field. It extended beyond that, and it extended under White Bear Avenue, or where White Bear Avenue is now, back in the day. Now it's sort of been preserved. There was an effort to keep it from being completely developed. You know, during, during the 1950s, you had suburbia, and everything kind of started being developed. And that's when um, uh, the, the golf course was put in, and some bodies were unearthed during that process. Ooh. And then later in the... Late 90s or early 2000s, there was a pipeline um, going in or being repaired sure. under White Bear Avenue, and some skeletons were turned up during that as well. So there are 3,000 people buried there, and we don't know where. I mean, we know they're there, but there are no markers, and you'd never know what's there. There are no markers. There's, oh, well, God. there's one. Um, there's one marker kind of as you walk into the area that tells you, you know, what it is and kind of the history of it. But you can't tell otherwise, and it's actually quite peaceful. There have been a, a few people who have done some paranormal investigations and say or have said that they have heard voices or have been walking through there and thought someone was walking with them or walking behind them only to turn around and, and see no one. And there were a few people buried there that had kind of gruesome or extreme deaths as well. So it wasn't necessarily all just, you know, you kind of toiled in the fields or you passed out. There were a couple of a guy who fell out of a third story window, um, someone who was hit by a train and, you know, his head kind of rolled underneath the tracks and that's how they discovered he had been hit. So (laughs) there's a few things that might indicate people were not, you know, when they were laid to rest, perhaps they were not completely at peace. Varla, I have to book you again. We only have a, a few seconds left, but I would love to book you again to talk more about this. I had no idea there were 3,000 people buried, and we don't know probably who that. Well, we know who they are, but we don't know where they are. Absolutely. It's uh, amazing, and um, I'd love to tell you about the uh, Native burial grounds and the great um, shipping of skeletons that came along in Jeez. White Bear Lake sometime. That's another great kind of remarkable, you can't believe this was here How about moment in history. So. I'll reach out to you again next week if that's all right. <laughs> That'd be lovely. Thank I'd you, love Varla. What an absolute a fascinating, honor. fascinating story. Thank you, Varla. Do I get, thank you so much. Bye. Do you believe that? Jeez. There are 3,000 people in unmarked graves in, white, in the White Bear Lake area. And I had no idea. Did you have any idea that existed? I, I've heard some about that, but it's amazing. And, I and haven't. How do they say they know all of them? I mean, they keep, they move bodies. Yeah. They keep uh, unburying them. I mean, I, I, there's got to be people in there that nobody knows about. I think you're right. Well, you'll have to come back next week, Mike. Uh, okay. I'll be listening for, listening for sure. Thanks very much. Tom Bernard Show. 